get back to my office. Can you say, man? Turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to Psalms 100. The 100th Psalm. We're going to spend a lot of time with this passage over the next few weeks as we are preparing for Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask you a question and you say, yes, it does. Does the Bible say that it should be in earth as it is in heaven? In Revelation chapter number 4, there is a continuous praise in heaven. I'm going to ask you another question. Y'all say no. Is it that way in the earth? When you watched all these news networks and you're watching all kinds of sports and television and you're at work and you're doing all this stuff, the earth is not full of praise. I'll go on to say that the world that we are living in is in a, uh, is a world of hurt. There's a lot of people struggling. Uh, reading this week in preparation for this sermon, I discovered that the suicide rate, not suicide attempts, but the suicide rate is up 24% since 1999. We live in a hurting world. What our world needs is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will inhabit the praises of His people. Now, somebody will say that, I love this when people say this to me, the old devil has been on my back all week long. Okay, let me tell you how you get the devil off your back. Don't call me. Okay, I, I don't want to fool with him either. So don't call me. You get the devil off your back by praising the Lord. That's a, the devil cannot. The God inhabits the praises. The enemy will run from praises. So over the next six weeks, this morning I ask you to praise the Lord, and it kind of caught you off guard. But get get ready because over the next few weeks there will be pop quizzes, and there will be a chance for you to raise your hand and raise your heart and raise your voice and praise the Lord. And we're all going to do it based on the Word of God. Here's the passage we're going to lean on for, for the next month. Psalm 100. It's my challenge to you by Thanksgiving Day that you will be able to say Psalm 100 without looking at the Scripture. You'll be able to do it by memory. Verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with uh, singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Isn't that a great passage? Serve the Lord with gladness. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. There is a noise in the earth, but it is not of the Lord. This morning, I want to be preaching to the people of God. And as you think about Psalms 100, I want you to turn with me in the Old Testament, and I want you to use your Bible to do this. I want you to turn to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 13. Exodus chapter number 12, the children of Israel were in bondage. 
as they were in bondage, Moses came down and, and uh, uh, the Lord used him to deliver the, the Israelites from bondage. They took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost and the children of Israel walked out in Exodus chapter number 12. They walked out of bondage under the blood of the lamb. From Exodus chapter number 12, to Numbers chapter number 13 is approximately 18 months. Now I want you to listen very carefully. They left Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They went to a place called Mount Sinai. They spent nine months at the foot of Mount Sinai. They built the tabernacle there. And now they have pressed on from uh, Exodus chapter 25 through 32. Now they have come up to, uh, Exodus, uh, to Numbers chapter number 13. They are on the edge of the promised land. They are so close. They, they are just a few miles away from the land that, that, that God has promised them. From Exodus chapter number 12 to Numbers chapter number 13, it's 18 months. And in Numbers chapter number 13, Moses sent 12 men into the land to spy out the land. And as they went into the land, they, uh, the, uh, 10 of those spies came back and they brought back a bad report. But there was two spies named Joshua and Caleb, they came back with good reports. And they, the, the people of Israel heard the reports of the 12 spies. And, and, and the Bible says in Numbers chapter number 14, verse number 1, after hearing the report from the, the spies, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the children of Israel murmured, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If we had only died in the land of Egypt, or if we had died in this wilderness. What's happened? They've come to the edge of the promised land. God has brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the sea, brought them through the wilderness. They're right where God wants them to be. And now they have spied out the land. They've come back with this bad report, and in Numbers chapter number 14, the entire nation of Israel, the people of God. This isn't the people up at the bar. These are not the people that's wrestling and carousing and, and having all kinds of parties. These are the chosen people of God as they look into that land and they see that the, the, the land has giants in the land. The Bible says this, that those people in the King James says they murmured. They complained. The Hebrew word murmured, from that one word, I get five different English words. Now listen to this. From Exodus 12 to Numbers 13, that's 18 months. From Numbers 13 to Numbers chapter number 36, 38 years. For 38 years, they wandered around in the same spot. Numbers 14 says the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. They complained and they whined. That word murmured, you get the word complain. You ever watch Saturday Night Live? You remember the whiners? Okay, that, that's them. They complained. Another word that you get from the word murmured is the word covetous. They, no matter what God gives you, you're, if you have this murmuring, complaining spirit, you're never going to be happy. You're going to be critical. You're going to be critical of everything. The sermon's too long. The church is too cold. You're just critical. You're full of doubt. 
God has done great things in your life. He brought you out of Egypt. He's brought you to this wonderful place. He's called water to come out of the rock. There's been a, a cloud of you, uh, over you in the day and a fire over you at night. And there's manna and there's water. There's everything. Yet you doubt. It's the same word as the word murmur. It, you rebel. These people have been brought right to where God would have them to be. And what did they do? They rebelled against God. They said, we're not going. We're not going to do it. So what happens is when people who murmur, who they, 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 they get all these things set up in their heart, when you can't just stop complaining. That If, if complaining is going to come out of your heart, if complaining is going to come out of your spirit, if you're going to change your attitude, you're going to have to change it to something. You've got to stop complaining and you've got to start to be thankful. You have to stop being covetous. And you've got to be content. You remember what Paul said? Paul said, in every situation, I'm content. There was a time when Saul was loaded. Saul had all kinds of money. And there was a time when Paul was in prison and he didn't have anything. But in every situation, he rested and trusted in Jesus Christ. In every situation, he was content, critical. Your critical spirit, your critical attitude, you need to change that to a, to a, a spirit, an attitude of love. Doubt. We're praying that, that, that God would save this entire city. Well, I, I'll pray that with you, brother, but I just don't know... I don't believe the Lord can do that. You know what? You need to get that doubt out of your heart and you need to fill your heart with, with faith. If you murmur, at some point you're going to rebel. That spirit of rebellion it needs to come under the, the control of the Holy Spirit and you need to be submissive. This week I have been studying and preparing for our marriage conference. This year we're going to, last year we looked at the at, at men and how important men were in the home. This year we're going to look at the lady and we're going to look at that passage in Ephesians chapter number 5. And I've spent a lot of time with this word submission this week. What does submission mean? What does submission don't mean? Let me tell you what one thing it does mean. I am much better off when I submit myself to the Most High God. And, and these people, they stood there on the banks. They were so close to, to, to a land that flowed with milk and honey, yet they murmured, they complained, they rebelled against God. If the believer chooses, God has designed us in a way where we have the ability to choose. If the believer chooses a murmuring, complaining attitude, it will decrease his or her ability to experience joy and thanksgiving. Your spirit is like a sponge and you complain and you whine and you covet and you rebel. It shrivels up. And the next thing you know, you cannot lift your voice and praise the Lord. This is a place where the church of Jesus Christ cannot go. We cannot be in a place where we don't have it in our hearts to lift our voices and praise God. We must be a people who can look at the cross and look what Jesus Christ has done and come, come away from that knowing that God has redeemed us, saved us, give us a home in heaven, and we ought to be able to praise the Lord in any situation. Those who choose 
Those who choose complaining as a lifestyle, and it is a lifestyle. Those who choose complaining as a lifestyle will spend the rest of their life in the wilderness. Let me show you something. I'll just show you like this. Just use use your imagination here. Like you have to do every Sunday. Okay? Watch. Here's something you've never heard before. This is brand new to you. In the Old Testament, geography is theology. That's new to you, isn't it? This is Egypt. This is a place of bondage. This is the wilderness. This is the the promised land. Everybody, every believer must be delivered, must be saved. Once you are born again, once you walk out of this this place of, uh, of deliverance, you walk into a place of wilderness or a place of development. God's always working on you. God's always trying to change you. God loves you just the way you are. But He don't want you to stay that way. You walk out of the place of of deliverance into this place of development and God changes you and He grows you up and then He wants you to walk into your destiny or what I call your dream. God always works on His people. As a believer, you have the ability to choose. It is your choice to, to, to allow God to change you, to mold you, turn you into the person He would have you to be so you can live in a place that flows with milk and honey, or you can choose to stay right here, complain, be critical, be doubtful, and rebel. Your decision. The promises of God can change our wilderness attitude into a promised land attitude. Now listen. They came to the edge of the land, and they were so close. And they didn't go in. For 38 years they wandered in the same spot. And they died. Do you know, because of their murmuring, complaining attitude, it was not some big gross sin that kept Israel out of the land. It was their attitude. Now I'm going to ask you a question and don't say man, do not raise your hand. Do sometimes you get aggravated And get mad at your children because of their attitude. God was not mad at the children of Israel. He's not mad at us now. He's not mad at the sinner. But He gets so frustrated with our murmuring, complaining attitude. And they chose to whine and complain. And they chose to live here for 38 years. Their decision. The only thing that God will use to bring you from here to the land of Canaan, the only thing that God uses to do is His Word and His Spirit. See, you cannot go from the wilderness to Canaan through materialism. Financialists will not not cause you to be happy. See, God has designed us. He has designed us in a special way. There's a void in our life. Every human being has a a, a God-shaped void in their life. And the only thing that can fill up that void, the only thing that can produce happiness and joy in our life 
is God Himself. And what is happening here is, is, is God is going to change us from wilderness to promised land attitude, but we have to choose to do it. Go with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 1. For five days, God has, has been creating stuff. He created the heavens and the earth and the moon and the stars and the animals and the gnats and the bugs and the turtles. He's created all this stuff. He's created the giraffe and the elephant. He did that for five days. And now on day number six, God is about ready to create His most precious creation of all. He's getting ready to create man. People have said that God waited to the sixth day to create man because He didn't want man trying to tell Him how to do it. But on the sixth day, God said this, Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 26, Then God said, Let us make man. That word man could be uh, mankind. It could be human being. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the bird of the air, over the cattle, over the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that is upon the earth. Five days God created stuff. My 22-month-old nephew, Hudson, sometimes I take him outside at night, and Hudson will look up in the sky and he'll say, he loves looking at the moon. And he loves looking at the stars. God created that. Yesterday, um, actually for the past two Saturdays in a row now, I got a coyote at my house. He comes, we saw him yesterday. He's a big one. He's beautiful. I don't want him at my house, but he is a big beautiful creation of God. And God created all that. But for five days in a row, all those things that God created, God created none of that stuff in His likeness. <clears throat> Until the sixth day. He said, let us make man. And let us make man <clears throat> in our image. God made us in His image. The Hebrew word image means resemblance. A representative figure. A reflection. Most of you don't know my dad. Never have never met my dad. But I've had people tell me over the years, Wayne, you remind me of your daddy. They say, you don't preach like him. I take it as a compliment, but I don't know. They say, you remind me of your dad. And I think when they say that to me, that, they, that tells me that I have mannerisms or, 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 or features like my daddy. But when God created us, <clears throat> He created us in His image. And we all are like God. Male, female, and the reason that God... Have you ever thought about why God created me? See, God is God. He is very happy with Himself. He is not lonely. He is not bored. Why would He go to the trouble of creating all the heavens and the earth, 
placing all these animals in the earth, and then create man. Why would He do that? He created man. The sole purpose that I have been created is so that I might bring honor and glory and praise to God. So what we need to do is we need to stop and we need to get our arms around why God has created us. God hasn't created us so that we might accumulate a lot of wealth. God hasn't created us so that we might be uh, uh, famous. The reason that God has created every single one of us is to, 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 to bring honor and glory to His name. The, the people on television that, that will tell you that you need to look inside yourself and, and you need to be yourself and you need to develop yourself. Let me tell you something. You need to look inside yourself and you need to discover that God has placed His image inside you and you need to try to become the person that God's created you to be. See, the enemy said to Eve, did God really say that you cannot eat of this fruit? God knows when you eat of this fruit that your eyes will be open and you will become like Him. What Eve should have said is this, I'm already like Him. See, we are, we are created in His image and, and we are, are a reflection of Him. God created us to be more like Him than anything else He created. That coyote that's in my yard, is not, he doesn't have the, he's a big, beautiful animal. But he does not have the image of God in him. None of us is a God. Some religions teach that. That you develop and that you grow and and you change and you evolve and, and the next thing you know, you're a God. None of us are gods. But we have communicable attributes of God. Think. What does the word communicable mean? That's a good thing about having a pastor like me is I really increase your vocabulary. You would have never known about the word gom had I not taught it to you. Now here's you another word. Communicable. I had a class at Cumberland College called Communicable and Non-Communicable Diseases. I couldn't pass a class because I couldn't pronounce it. Communicable this, uh, not communicable but disease, but a communicable attribute of God. What does that mean? That means it's transferable. That means it's contagious. In the words of my grandmother, that means it's catchy. What are the attributes of God? What has God placed inside of us that He hasn't placed inside the, the coyotes and, and all the other? God has placed inside of us wisdom. God has placed inside of us the ability to love. Is there someone in this world that you love? That is a God-given ability. Coyotes don't love people or stuff. They don't even love other coyotes. The ability to be kind, that's because you've been created in the image of God. We have a desire to live forever. We have eternity, the Bible says. Eternity has been placed in our heart. That is an image of God. That's something He's placed inside us. Now, those attributes that have been placed inside of us are, are transferable. If you stop and you realize that God has created you, you can't live here. 
we're going to become a people of praise. We're going to become a people who, uh, of joy and happiness. Why? Because we are going to stand on the promises of God. Now listen, this thing that you read in Genesis chapter number 1, verse 26, is one of the greatest promises that you'll ever find in the Bible. God has promised that He would place Himself inside of us before you were born. Before you were conceived. Jeremiah 1, 5 says this, that Jeremiah, before you were conceived in the womb, I knew you. I sanctified you. I ordained you. I, I called you to preach to the world. Let me tell you something. The same God that, that created Jeremiah created you. And, and He has... Let me tell you something. Abortion is our greatest sin. I just cannot get my head around this. Because if you think back to, to nine months before you were born, on the, the moment that you were conceived, study this. I've, I've preached this before. The right to life. Study what happens in a mama's womb 24 hours after conception. What happens a week after conception? God in, the, in Psalms 139 says this, that, that, <clears throat> that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are knitted together in your mother's womb. Even before you were born, God is at work in your life. And then, then once you are born, the Bible says that, that, that God has a great plan for your life. God in Jeremiah 29 was telling that nation, I know you're going into bondage. I know that Babylon's coming. I know that the days ahead of you are tough. tough. But listen... <clears throat> There's coming a time when I will bring you back. I know the plans I have you. I declare this, says the Lord. I'm telling you that I have plans for you to prosper you, for you to be successful, to you to, for you to be at peace. It is my desire for you not to live here in the land of wilderness, but to live here in the land of promise, a place of thanksgiving, hope, and joy. That's, that's God's design. But if I don't want this, if I'm saved and born again and I don't want this and I want to live here, God has given me the ability to choose that. You are not defined by your net worth. You are not defined by your GPA. Praise the Lord. Or the clothes that you wear. The Creator determined your value. Who determined your value? The Creator. Not your football coach. Not your balls. Your Creator. He determined... How do you determine the value of something? You determine the value of something by how much you're willing to pay for it. I paid $1,000 for this suit. I didn't. I paid 89 bucks for this suit. <laughs> but what did that... You know what? That de How much you're willing to pay for something determines its value. Now stop and think. How much was God willing to pay for you? Do you have you ever been saved? Then you're not, you don't belong to yourself. You have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are purchased 
through the blood. The Creator determined your value. And, and, and when He created you, He created you, He placed His image inside you. By placing His image inside you, God is saying you are special. Do you know why you love your children? Do you know why you love your grandchildren? It's because those children and those grandchildren, they carry a part of you. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that you won't do for those special people in your life. When God created us and He placed His likeness inside us, He said this, You are special. Now listen, don't go home. Don't go home and get in front of the mirror and start singing how great thou art. Don't do that. But now listen. This is something that the believer has got to get their arms around. See, I have been created by God. I have godly attributes. I have some wisdom. I have the ability to love. I have the eternity placed in my heart. There's kindness in my heart. All those things come from God. But now listen. Listen very carefully. It's not only me. Every man, woman, boy, or girl has those same godly images in them. What about the black, black person? Sure. What about the Muslim? They are created in the image of God. What about the Democrats? What about the Republicans? All of them, every single one of them have been created in the image of God. Now, when I'm trying to get my arms around what, how special I am to God, and if I could ever figure out how much, how much I mean to God, then I have to step back and I have to think about how much all these other people mean to God. Some of these people don't think like me. They don't act like me. They, they, don't, they, they don't talk like me. But because they are created in the image of God, I have to love them. Because I have to love them the same way that Jesus Christ loved me. I am a child of God. I'm a creation of God. And you know what? God loves them also. And it's worth our effort. It's worth our time. It's, it's worth everything that we can do to go throughout our town and tell these men and women that Jesus Christ loves them. It, it, it's worth everything we can do because they are created in the image of God. Because you are created in the image of God does not mean that you belong to the Lord. This image that God has created you in is universal. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has the image of God inside them. But not every person possesses the forgiveness and the Holy Spirit of God. Although God's forgiveness has been offered to the whole world, the whole world has not accepted it. Now, I'm created in His image and I'm created in His likeness. And then, I humble myself before Him. I ask Him to save me. I ask Him to, to become Lord of my life. That word Lord, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? 
that word Lord, is, it's an old word. It's a word that we don't really understand. It's not a word that we, we don't use much anymore. The word Lord means boss, means CEO, chairman of the board. I am a special creation of God. The image of God dwells inside me. But one day I bowed my knees and I asked Him to save me. I asked Him to become Lord of my life. At that moment, I gave Him control. I could choose to run my own life. I can choose to do it my own way. But what happened is that I chose to allow Him to be the chairman of the board of my own life and to follow Him. And then when He saved me, inside me He placed the Holy Spirit or what I call the spark. Now, I have the image of God inside me. Now I have the spark of God inside. And it's like it's like a... a, a a, a ember, a burning ember that's inside you and God begins to blow on that and it begins to turn red it begins to glow and it begins to, to change me and all of a sudden well, not all of a sudden but I begin to change and because God is moving in my life and, 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 and he, He's changing me, I stop acting like Wayne. And I start acting like Jesus. I forgive people. I come to church. I give my time. Not just because that the image of God is inside me, but because His Spirit is inside me his word is inside me, and now he's changing me, or he's developed me, de developing me into the person that God made. You know what our prayer ought to be today if you're a child of God? Your prayer should be this Change my heart, O oh God. Do you want to be this way? Let me ask you that again. And you all say no. Do you want? I'm talking to born again people. Born again people have 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 the choice to live here. Do you want to live here? We don't want you to live there either. You living in this place makes it hard on everybody. Do you want to live here? Listen, going from the, the wilderness to the promised land, it's it's not a miracle. You're not just going to wake up someone and you're going to be there. It's a process. But it starts by you allowing God to have control, allowing Him to do what He wants to do, and let Him mold you and change you into the person that you have in you. But listen, the Holy Spirit is powerful. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that the Holy Spirit cannot do. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And He will not make you do something that you don't want to do. It's your call. Bow your heads with me, please. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me ask you a question. Are you living where you want to live?
Are you shocked by the fact that, 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 that God has placed His image inside you? Every person in this room. I'm not saying everybody in the room is saved. But I'm saying everybody in the worship center has the image of God in Those people back in the nursery. Those people down in the children's church. They have the likeness of God inside them. Today, I want you to give God the permission to do in your life as He wants to do. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Stand with me.